I'm Adam Massey, and this is Growth Swag. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Growth Swag. I'm Adam Massey, and as promised, we are going to continue this series on, um, I guess, lessons learned from having a heart attack at 40, lessons I had to learn the hard way, which I would love to just share as much of this information as possible. So, you know, you guys can get your own perspective on it and maybe incorporate changes that, you know, help you without you having to have your own oh shit moment. Uh, today, we're going to really zero in on nutrition and exercise, perhaps two of the most important components uh, that I've experienced in my journey after that experience. Um, and I'm really pleased to introduce my host, my guest today, Vanessa Rogers. Vanessa is, first of all, she's a friend and she's been a health coach of mine. She's also a best-selling author and founder and CEO of Feed Your Spirit Incorporated uh, and creator of Feed Your Power, a mind-body transformation program for changemakers. Hey, Vanessa, how are you? Hey, Adam. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. So, you know, we've talked a little bit. You've been part of my journey um, and at various points, especially in the area of the topic for today. Uh, before we start to kind of get into what that that whole arc has looked like, maybe you could just share a little bit about like your story, what you're passionate about, and you know, just a little bit more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, um, you know, I always just had a tricky relationship with like food and health and really understanding what was the right way to do that for me. So I just fumbled around with that for several years, like in my younger life, um, different diets and different you know, cutting this out, cutting that out. But I was a student athlete um, all the way up through, you know, college at the division one level. And it really caused me some problems, like not really understanding how to properly fuel my body. But I just kind of struggled my way through that and figured it was probably hard for everyone, which was wrong, you know? Yeah. I didn't know that at the time. And then my father died from a heart attack really out of nowhere. And everyone had said to me across the years of my life when I got into like studying food and nutrition, like, why don't you really go for this? Why don't you do it full time? And after my dad passed, I really realized that like, this isn't a hobby for me. Yeah. That's, you that's know? amazing. This is, yeah. This is something I'm absolutely going to dedicate my life to because I think that longevity matters you know being able to see your children grow up matters being children being able to have their parents in their lives for longer matters and i felt like i was robbed of that and if my father would have had the proper information it wouldn't have happened that way yeah well and that's, I think that's why your story was so powerful you know for me personally and professionally yeah and i think that's one of the biggest challenges that i've really discovered is uh, dare i say like how dishonest the food industry is. So if, you know, information oh, yeah. is the most important thing, but in my own quest for information, you know, now that I've got a highly motivated interest in nutrition and optimal health, it's crazy because you literally read one article one day that's telling you, Hey, butter is good for you. Butter was actually on the cover of time magazine several years ago. That's saying like butter is yeah. back in. And then you can read other things that say the exact opposite. In fact, you know, that could actually be a really fun segue into a little bit about my story arc. Um, and we can have a conversation about this because when I look back to, you know, what my nutrition was like prior to having a heart attack for several years leading up, 
honestly, I feel like I've always been an, in, an interested and motivated consumer in health information. I was just getting the wrong information. So like mm. when I, so my heart attack was in 2017. When I look back at like as early as 2011, I got really into CrossFit and in the CrossFit community, there was a huge interest and focused on like paleo. And I know you're familiar with this as a nutrition expert, but like I got really bought into that, this whole idea that, oh, eat like cavemen for 10,000 years prior to real formulated agriculture, we ate primarily meats and maybe berries and nuts, but really heavy, high fat, um, high protein diet. And I super mm. bought into that. Right. And so I myself, and now the funny thing is when you look at the contrast today, that's exactly the opposite of what I should be eating that I've learned after doing a, a lot of investigation and seeking truth. But it's been, you know, the misinformation is really challenging for a lot of people. It is. And that's exactly what I find with everyone I work with. That's probably the main, one of the main frustrations. I've had clients call me because they just hit their they hit their maximum level of confusion and are probably crying because they don't know, is this true or not? And what do I do? And it yeah. just becomes this massive, confusing struggle where they just want to be able to care for themselves properly. But because the landscape is such a free for all, it ends up doing, you know, potentially a lot of harm for people. Absolutely. I mean, so if I go back and I think about, so, you know, as I've shared with everybody on my podcast, my heart attack happened at the age of 40, which is pretty young for a heart attack. It's not the youngest ever recorded, oh, yeah. but definitely on the younger end of the spectrum. And when I look at the patterns of uh, the years leading up to that, people always ask me like, hey, do you know what caused it? And I've asked my cardiologist that, and you know, he gives me some sort of cynical answer sometimes like, oh, well, if I knew what caused heart attacks, I'd be a millionaire. But the reality is when I look back to causation, what I have found was a, a very specific pattern. And I do want to clarify that like, and we'll get into this a bit later in this conversation, but what's right for me is probably not right for everyone else. You know, everybody is highly personal. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big takeaways, just to fast forward a little bit, and I want to kind of put this forward as a disclaimer is that you know what's right for me may not be right for you what i have found is right for me is by doing a lot of like you know blood labs and genetic testing and a lot of research and so i think what i'm trying to encourage is investigation into your own personal optimal uh nutrition makeup but for me mm -hmm. you know i feel pretty confident i've landed where i need to be and so let's go back a little bit right so and and I'd love to make this a conversation because I don't I don't know how much you and I have ever really gotten into uh, my health patterns prior to the heart attack. But, you know, I guess one of the things I would highlight is I've never been a big fruit eater. Uh, I've always had a real um, appetite for meat and proteins. Uh, I've never been a big fish eater. And so, you know, leading in the many years prior to this, when I heard about paleo and all this stuff, I was like, and Atkins and all these things, I was like, game on. The other thing is I've always kind of yo-yoed my weight mm. a little bit. Um, so because of that, and there's probably reasons for that too, because I feel like I've stabilized now, but maybe because I wasn't on the right nutrition profile, I've been a guy who, you know, periodically has been trying to drop weight. And so when you try to drop weight, I, you know, I've I wouldn't say I'm like a fad dieter, but I've looked into trends like Atkins and then I saw paleo and those really resonated with me because it enabled me to eat foods like steak and hamburgers and stuff that I really um, love. But 
Um, so I started doing that and I would say leading up to my heart attack, I would eat a lot of meat. You know, we'd probably cook steaks at least once a week. I'd have burgers at least once a week. Um, you know, just a lot of meat, not very much fish cause I didn't like it. I've always been a vegetable fan, but you know, it, it didn't always find its way onto my plate. And so I would say there was a pattern of a lot of meat and buying into the idea that you need a lot of protein. Um, so yeah, I think not uncommon, right? Yeah. And, um, a lot of people like those foods, so that's an easy one to buy into, I would say. So, you know, that's a general pattern I had eating wise. Um, I would also say from an exercise standpoint, you know, as a former division one athlete, I think you'll find this kind of funny maybe, but like I'm very type a, and so I would like, I was never a division one athlete. I played, you know, sports in high school, but you know, not in college. And what, because I'm a type A personality, what I found was like in my twenties and thirties, I would want to go do these extreme things. So I'm a very extreme kind of person. So like I extreme mm -hmm. embrace diets, but I also extreme get into stuff like CrossFit. I got extremely into that. I did CrossFit so much that I think it stressed my physiology and I was getting sick all the time. Um, mm -hmm. I would do these like extreme endurance events but all these things are these like extreme extremities in terms of the execution of exercise, but without, I feel like now in retrospect, a fundamental level of conditioning, right? So basically I wasn't in great shape, but I would go do these extreme things and I would kind of gut it out because, Hey, I'm in my twenties or thirties and I can get away with it. But in retrospect, Ouch. I think that's probably not a good thing either. Right. Yeah, I'd actually love to touch on that more. I don't know if it's a good time for that now, but that's super, um, that's like a really great thing that you noticed about a pattern you had with movement. Yeah, I mean, um, we can definitely get into it. I think like, um, I, I just, I, you know, anyone who knows me well, I can be fairly intense. And when I get passionate about something, I tend to want to go all the way. But, um, you know, if you're, if you're performing extreme, like I, I look at extreme endurance athletes and now what I've noticed is, you know, if you're running ultras or doing, you know, the extreme level of Spartan racing or elite level athlete in whatever field, you're not just doing that as a weekend warrior. You're all in from a nutrition and you're really feeding your body. And you're also like, one of the things I've learned, Vanessa is rest is just as important as the training. And mm -hmm. so, so I wasn't balancing all that stuff. I would, you know, basically work an office job, probably drink too much on the weekends and then go on these extreme workouts. And in retrospect, that was very stressful in my body. Absolutely. I mean, it was uh, probably doing more hurt than good. I think so. And it was evident also I was noticing things like um, I was getting sick a lot, right? I don't get sick very much anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's another pattern I wanted to highlight with you because I don't think we've ever spoken about this, but in the immediate two years leading up to my heart attack, I started to notice two things in my health that I took as just maybe part of getting older or whatever, but now I look back as red flags. So one of them was I suffered from a lot of heartburn. I never went on heartburn medication, but it was pretty bad. Um, mm. Like kind of a daily occurrence. Like, by the way, I haven't had heartburn for two years or more, probably three years. But at the time, I had it all the time. The other thing I had a lot, and this is kind of gross, but I'm sharing, is like I would have night sweats a lot where like I would wake up mm. in the morning and my bed would be soaked like I wet the bed, but just pure sweat. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really realize what that was either. But looking back, you know, those were huge red flags on just health, right? That stuff's not 
you know, part of a normal, healthy human experience. And that was probably right. my, my body crying out for like, hey, man, something's got to change here. Well, that's what symptoms are, you know, and we, all of them, all of them have a message, every single one. And what's interesting is that we have these big, incredibly powerful, ambitious minds. And we also have bodies that are really, um, you know, for a certain amount of time, for varies for everyone, but are just persevere with us. Oh yeah, they're they just take right? they take hits and they take hits and they're so strong and so adaptive and everything we put them through, they just take it for a long time until they can't anymore, right? But essentially, you're exactly right. Our symptoms are trying to get our attention, and sadly, our medical culture in America is designed to mask them. Okay, yeah. we'll take heartburn medication so that you don't right. have to deal with it anymore. And no one asks the question of, well, what's the message in that symptom you're having? What is your body trying to tell you? You know, because it's certainly trying to tell you something if it's making you feel pain or discomfort. Like, it's, it's a flag. It's trying to flag you down. For sure. And, and that's what so happens interesting. Is because people, yeah, you're right, you know, you're right. Everyone, I, have to, I know so many people are like, oh, you know, I had heartburn, so now I'm on this great heartburn medicine. And it's like, well, that shouldn't be the answer, right? It's not actually a solution at all. What it is, is, uh, hey, hey, you know, physical body that is such a gift and so full of wisdom. Let me just shush you and quiet you down so I can get on with my day. Right. And that is just asking for trouble. But sadly, I don't blame anyone for making that choice when we're, we go to doctors and they you know, we trust them and they are doing what they're taught and they teach us how to mask everything so that we don't get the message. Yeah. Yeah. And I think honestly, that's a uh, funny, I love that we've stumbled onto this topic because I hadn't thought about that as part of the message here, but it's huge. And I think now I'm learning like really to listen to my body and um, we'll talk Good. about this more in like the post, you know, what things I've changed, but you know, like, I don't, I'm not an extremist anymore from an exercise perspective. I do what feels good and what resonates because then a it's aligned with me and what I need at that moment, but I also keep doing it because it's fun and it feels almost effortless when you love something, but we'll get into that more in a minute. But so, yeah, I would just love to add that there's a su sustainability factor there yes. that now you have that you didn't have before, which I love. That's beautiful. Yeah, for sure. That's a great way to put it. So I guess uh, I had these warning signs, right? Um, just to talk a little bit about the data. So when I would go get checkups or like a physical once a year, I remember not paying tons of attention to my cholesterol levels, Vanessa, but I do remember doctors saying to me kind of this general, oh, you know, you're sort of at the high end of normal. So, you know, you want to watch that, you know, but they weren't like, hey, it's time to go on cholesterol reducing measures or medication. Now, mm -hmm. my research to prep for this um, has shown that I think in the United States, a normal adult cholesterol level is suggested to be between around, this is total cholesterol, between like 150 and around 200. So if that's true, I'm assuming my cholesterol levels were around 200 um, when the doctors were saying that to me. So just to, I kind of wanted a level set because I do think cholesterol level is a cholesterol level and blood pressure are massive uh, metrics to pay attention to. And I talked to a lot of people out there, actually the majority of people who come to me after this heart attack go, Oh, you know, I've kind of, I kind of have higher cholesterol or I've been on cholesterol meds. Like, you know, there are definitely some 
um, medical reasons why you might have high cholesterol, but for most of us out there, it's directly proportionate to diet and exercise. So I think that's another warning sign. Oh yeah, it is. Um, so here I am, right. Let's just recap, um, stressful sort of, um, non-sustainable extreme exercise spikes. Um, I'm eating a very, very heavy, um, animal protein diet. Uh, and generally I would categorize it as sort of like high fat, low carb, um, overall Mm -hmm. over a period of several years. Um, I, you know, I admit, I will admit that just based on where my station in life and where my kids ages were and my social situation, I was probably drinking more than I'd like to admit on every weekend, just socially. Uh, and not that drinking has a direct correlation to heart health. Uh, cardiologists will tell you that it doesn't. I would argue that it has a very high indirect correlation because for me, you know, remember I'm eating this high fat, low carb diet. Um, and then as I'm hungover, I eat like crap. And so, um, cause I just feel terrible. And so that tends to mean poor food choices, uh, in the wake of that. And so it was kind of a vicious cycle, but not that alcohol, yeah, if I can just, but that was, if I mystery. can just add, yeah. <clears throat> It's actually, you know, when someone has high cholesterol who I'm working with, I do ask them to stop drinking alcohol. Um, it all, often correlates to high blood pressure as well. I do have clients that also have low blood pressure problems. But the thing is, alcohol thins the blood, you know, so yeah. it will actually increase your uh, blood pressure. Like it's, it's not great for the heart. It's directly not great for the heart. I'll just wanted to add that. And, and even if, you know, the science, which is always unfolding new findings every day. And, you know, any kind of study could really find anything you want to find, right? It's like, there's so much out there, but alcohol is definitely something that um, if you're looking to heal your body in any type of way to cut back on or eliminate. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. And I mean, I drink very little alcohol now, actually I went a year with no alcohol. We'll get into the post in a minute, but I mean, there, there's no other life hack that has made me feel better. So that's a key thing. And I also would say that you're right. Like when, when doctors tell you uh, that wine can be good for your heart or your health, they're talking about like one glass here and there. They're not talking about crushing a bottle every night. Right. So I think that's something right. to take with a grain of salt. And, you know, we'll get into this more soon, but I am, I've already mentioned, I'm kind of an intense uh, all or nothing person. And so for me, I found it difficult to moderate. It was easy just to eliminate, but we'll get more into that in a minute. So, all right, so let's recap. So, um, stressful exercise levels, high fat, low carb, animal protein diet, you know, drinking too much, um, cholesterol levels at the high end of normal, which let's say, you know, according to the U S let's say it's around 200. A lot of leading cardiologists would say that's actually way too high, but in the range, your doctor would tell you that's kind of high end of normal. Um, and you know, I would say like, for the most part, I have a pretty stressful job, but not that much stressful, more stressful than anybody else. But I think it's the aggregate accumulation of all these things that boom, oh shit moment, I have this heart attack at 40. So um, super scary experience. I talked about this uh, two podcasts ago in detail. So go back and listen to that if you missed it. Um, But, and I explained, Vanessa, in that one, I explained a lot about like the physiological what happened. So I had this soft plaque that ruptured that caused my uh, left anterior descending artery to go completely blocked, um, 
20% survival rate when that happens, you know, I feel extremely grateful and blessed to have survived it myself. So here I am um, coming out of the hospital. I'm looking at these, my wife and three young kids going, okay, back to your point that you made earlier. I want to live a long time. Like I, and I was scared about like, okay, does this mean that I'm going to die in like five years? Um, like, how do I not do that? How do I live till I'm at least, you know, 80 or whatever? And I had this mental objective. Like, I want to know my grandkids. That was really something that stood out in my mind and seemed very, you know, standout important to me. So, you know, I began trying to figure out like really which way is up and what, where, where do I go from here? Um, so the first thing that happens is they put you on a bunch of medication. Um, and you know, over time I've decreased that the medication, but it's critical stuff to make sure you don't have a heart attack again initially. Um, and the first thing I did was they sent me to something called cardiac rehab, which by the way, sounds like a reality show, right? Um, cardiac <laughs> rehab, uh, was at the John Muir hospital and it was basically me, 40 year old Adam in a small kind of like hodgepodge gym with a bunch of like, you know, elderly people walking on treadmills and working out supervised by nurses. And it was actually an amazing program. The nurses in that facility are incredible. But what it was meant to do was like, I just had a heart attack. My heart is weak. It's feeling very like, you know, I was having these little flutters and stuff. It was pretty scary. But the idea was to like start with like walking on a treadmill for 15 minutes and over the course of three months, get you up to, you know, a, a, the baseline level of physical fitness. And it was actually an amazing experience because it was, first of all, like ego put in check significantly, right? I'm like on a treadmill getting smoked by like an 80 year old standing next to me. And so <laughs> it like took my ego out of the, which was, I needed that by the way, incredible. Yeah, humility, humility is a wonderful thing to grow and build, that's good. Oh my gosh, yeah, so level set there. And over the course of three months, I just progressively got stronger and stronger and stronger. And they had me like on the rowing machine and I love rowing. I've got a concept two rower here at home. Actually, I should say I don't love rowing. Rowing is like a demonic torture device, but it's an awesome uh, physical fitness thing. And if you get into it, it can have incredible results. So like rowing, treadmill, free weights, doing all that. And I established this baseline level of fitness and, um, I was trying to eat better. So at the time, my cardiologist, Vanessa, was telling me, oh, like, you know, lean proteins, chicken, vegetables, you want to have a balanced plate, all this stuff. Um, and so I was doing the best I could, right? And um, I yeah. ended up getting a doctor here in my town who's amazing. And she had a full patient list, but she took me because of my situation. And she heard that I'm this 40-year-old, had a heart attack, three young kids. And she took me on. And the first thing she did was she ran a bunch of blood labs and tests, including a genetic test. And when they came back, she said to me, hey, I think I know why you had a heart attack. And I was like, wow, really? And she goes, yeah, your genetic profile is such that you should be a vegan pescatarian. And you're going to laugh, but like my heart dropped because I'm a guy, remember, I hate mm -hmm. fish and I'm a meat eater. Like, I'm not going to be a vegan. <laughs> And so that was a massive shock to me. In fact, I remember thinking like, I can't do that. There's no way. And so I had to go yeah. through this process of like figuring out, can I embrace that diet? And, um, you know, I'll just pause there because that also got me to start reading a bunch of, uh, like Bill Clinton had a triple bypass, I believe. And Bill Clinton recommended a bunch of books by like, um, leading cardiologists like Dr. Dean Ornish and, um, Dr. Esselstein and all of these were about how to reverse heart disease. Cause again, I'm a type a guy. I want to see my grandkids mm -hmm. and I want to, 
I don't just want to get better. I want to like reverse my heart disease. And guess what? Guess what diet all three of those books recommended? Do you know, mm-hmm. Vanessa? Uh, probably plant-based. A hundred percent plant-based. In fact, some of them went as far as to say plant-based, extremely low fat. Like, you know, um, Dr. Esselstein recommends no oils at all. Not for everybody, mm-hmm. but if you've had a heart attack and you have, you know, heart disease for, for guys like me, no oil. Um, and again, I'm like, man, how am I going to survive on this? But one thing I heard loud and clear was, and again, I'm on my sort of, you know, exercise conditioning recovery. Now I'm looking at diet and, um, I'm kind of coming face to face with the idea that, wow, like plant-based, if you've had a heart attack, plant-based diets, probably the only answer. Right. Right. So, right. um, Because we know that we know that there, now we know, right. That aside from the industry that is things like Atkins and stuff that is just focused on how you look for money, right? Yeah. Outside of the industry, now there is research. People are even willing to do research studies on plants. So now yes. we're starting to see, we're starting to, you know, the answer is starting to become more clear that saturated animal fat, which we're not hunting anymore, you know, we're not hunting for an animal <laughs> that we may catch three days from now where actually people are buying steaks at Walmart five days a week. Um, that saturated animal fat is uh, essentially what will connect most people to disease from a dietary perspective. Well, not, not only that, but I would also argue that like, I feel a little bit deceived by the whole paleo movement because I have seen a lot of research more recently with, that I've taken this interest in it that like, you know, paleolithic era, early man wasn't probably actually eating that much meat. Like, the, like first of all, look right. at our teeth. Look at the shape of our teeth, right? We don't oh, have I sharp know. pointed teeth. We have teeth designed for, you know, grinding up grain and plants. Um, we, you know, early man probably did a fair amount of gathering of plants and nuts and, and, and fruits and probably the occasional hunt, but I don't really believe that like we lived purely on meat. I think catching wild animals was pretty hard, especially with early tools. Exactly. And so like, I think that we are probably, um, I mean, anyway, I, I, I have seen incredible results. So I just want to be conscious of the time, you know, I got connected with you, Vanessa, early on in this journey. Um, you helped advise me a little bit because at the time I was trying to figure out how do I actually adopt a plant-based lifestyle? And by the way, if you're getting into a plant-based lifestyle, if you have interest in it, um, you know, one of the things I found early on was it's really easy to have sort of like plant-based or vegetarian junk food too. So learning how to eat well in a way that tastes mm-hmm. good was was something that you helped me with. And I also found this amazing company called Planted Table. Um, and I remember my wife said, Hey, like I heard they're having this open house. There's this new, um, small business opening run by these amazing women. Uh, you should go check it out. We went to the open house and it's basically a meal delivery service, but made by gourmet vegan chefs, uh, zero waste packaging and containers. So every week on Wednesday is like my little mini Christmas day where I get a package on my front doorstep. I think you do too with, um, you know, mm-hmm. glassware full of amazing food. And what that allows me to do is eat, you know, a variety of healthy plant-based foods that are like gourmet level, but without me and my wife having to figure out how do we derail everything else? Like she can still kind of do what she does and the kids eat their food. I'm not going to force my plant-based lifestyle on them yet, although I'm hoping to influence them. 
but it's enabled me to eat really well there. And Vanessa, let's talk a little bit about my results, right? So after mm-hmm. about a year of going plant-based, first of all, remember we talked about my cholesterol levels being at 200? My total yeah. cholesterol level dropped to 104 in less than a year, which you know, actually my doctor was like, wow, like that might be too low, <laughs> but I don't think it is. So, um, <laughs> so cholesterol level dropped through the floor. I dropped 40 pounds, by the way, effortlessly. Like I wasn't really dieting or doing anything. The weight just fell off of me and I got really healthy and lean. Zero uh, heartburn. I almost never get sick anymore. And I have three young kids, which is pretty remarkable. Um, Never have night sweats. I sleep really, really well. I will also highlight for after six months after the heart attack or so, I was still drinking red wine. I cut out alcohol for a year. And for me, as I mentioned before, it was like, I have a hard time moderating. I'll admit that just being authentic. And um, I found that just complete abstinence was a better model for me. And I've since started to introduce like, I like craft beer. I'll have a craft beer occasionally, but it's pretty rare for me these days. And I think that accelerated weight loss. It also just, my skin looks amazing. I feel like people tell me frequently and I'm, I'm trying to be as humble as possible, but it feels good when people tell you like multiple people tell you, you look 10 years younger. And I attribute that mm-hmm. very heavily to like diet, cutting out of alcohol and all that stuff. So for me, I feel amazing. My cardiologists are very happy and I'm determined to not just, you know, be okay, but to literally reverse my heart disease and outlive, you know, a lot of people who didn't have a heart attack at 40. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, one of the biggest accomplishments we could ever hope to have and create that we have the possible possibility of extending our lifespan, enjoying our families, you know, having, getting to experience like the gift of every day is truly a gift, right? Yeah. And you were able to do that by really getting serious, honestly, about the changes you wanted to make and was, you know, incorporating different personality factors you know, and what really works for you and your body has shown you, this is the way to do it. Like you have that confirmation, every compliment you get, you know, how physically fit you feel when you wake up in the morning, not having heartburn, your body is giving you a yes. And that's how we know. Yeah. So I've got a question for you actually. So one of the things I feel like I did really well was cutting out meat. I did not go hundred percent plant-based. So for Mm-hmm. Up until just recently, I would still eat a healthy amount of cheese. Okay. So I have this like love affair with cheese. It's really been difficult for me to cut out. <laughs> now, recently, okay. I read this book by a Dr. Barnard, I believe, called The Cheese Trap. Okay. I listened to it mm-hmm. on Audible and it scared the crap out of me because basically mm-hmm. what he talks about is how terrible cheese is and dairy in general. And I don't really eat much dairy at all. I eat, you know, drink almond milk and stuff, but cheese was the one thing I haven't been able to cut. Um, for me, that was uh, really hard to cut out. So I read this book, the cheese trap, and I have now cut out cheese and it is incredible. Like I, I started to gain a little bit of weight again, actually. I think my body just sort of like reset the level. Yeah. And, uh, since cutting out cheese, I've started to lose weight again. Um, my stomach feels better. I just feel better overall. So I am kind of now recommitting to being like a hundred percent plant-based and it's a recent thing for me, but it just feels so good. And so I think that's an interesting, you know, just takeaway is like, I eliminated everything, did much better. I started to kind of like have a heavy amount of cheese and started noticing I wasn't feeling so good. Not to mention there's just a ton of cholesterol in cheese and saturated fat. 
So I've cut it out and it's like amazing. So I, I just wanted to see what your thoughts were on cheese. And I think it's common for people to yeah. be fairly addicted to it. It is like there, there's definitely research out there that talks about how it, the body actually responds to it the way it responds to a drug. Yeah. There's a you know? level of opiate or something in it actually. I, exactly. I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's why, um, that's why it's so common. I think for people to feel that attachment to it. Um, I think that, it, you know, ideally, like, do we really want to be consuming this like mucus from a pregnant animal right it's like yeah. well uh that's not really you know what i mean but yeah. at the same time i i i really can appreciate the progression of your journey and what i mean by that is like this doesn't have to be something that happens 100% overnight and if i like to have people scale down with cheese though i really do um just to really be present with it you know, how does it affect your body? Does it create a histamine response? Do you get a stuffy nose? Does it cause a little bit of congestion? It definitely causes weight gain because it's saturated animal fat. It's designed to grow an animal, you know. Yeah. Um, what are your goals? Does cheese align with, like, do those things align with your goals? Or is it just a bridge you're not ready to cross right now? Like, sometimes I like to respect that if people are just slowly moving toward a plant forward diet. I support that. Sometimes cheese is the last piece and that's okay. But I usually try to get people to at least come off of the hard cheeses like cheddar and move to the soft cheeses like goat cheese as a progression. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's going to be different for everyone, but I'm pretty sure that most people are going to find um, what you found. Well, and I, I found that like, when I look back and I'm really honest with myself, you know, in the first year after the heart attack, I was scared. And so I probably was more, um, strict with my diet, but then after a while, you know, like meat mm -hmm. doesn't interest me anymore. Meat kind of grosses me out, but I think I started to like eat more and more and more cheese because in my mind, I'm like, Oh, well, that's not meat, you know? Um, and that, but what then happened was I, because I'm self-aware of myself now, I really started to notice that it was negating the benefits I was getting from cutting out meat and making me feel like crap. And literally since cutting it out, it's been amazing. So I think I'm kind of like pretty committed now to hundred percent plant-based, maybe the occasional fish, but um, I'm not a huge fish fan. So I feel really good about that, but it has been a progression and that's worked for me. And so I think that's the big takeaway is like, you can't force stuff. Um, I'd love for people out there not to have to require the same scare I've had, but you've got to work in a way that's aligned with your spirit and natural. And for me, this mm. has been my progression and it's worked for me. Uh, before we wrap up, I want to touch on two more things. So one thing I just want to highlight, which has been super interesting. The reason I, I mentioned before that meeting I had with my doctor where she did the labs, one of the labs she did, which I didn't know about before, and I get a lot of questions about this. So I just want to highlight it was a um a genetic test where she looked at my apoe genotype okay and there's basically everybody generally has a one of these um the most common one is apoe 3-3 i believe um yeah that's like 64 percent of people and it's generally pretty healthy i have three four uh which is concerning because there's this apoe four um part of that. So for me, we have a higher risk of heart disease and even late set Alzheimer's. And it's just something that when she saw that APOE34 uh, genotype mix, 
that was one of the things where she said, and there's a lot of research on this, that we, with that genotype, do not do well with high fat, low carbohydrate diets. And I found that super interesting because when I switched to a, frankly, a much higher carbohydrate, lower fat diet, my body just flourished. Like it was amazing how good I felt, how quickly I lost weight and not unhealthy weight loss, but like really leaning out to a great desirable weight. And so this comes back to like doing what works for you. I'm not here to tell you that, you know, you should be on a high fat or a low fat diet. What I'm here to tell you is you should really find out what is optimal for you. And like my wife did the same test. She's a three, three, she can have a different uh, dietary mix that I can have. But for me, I would encourage you to like work with your doctor, really understand your genes, your blood type, and try to tailor nutrition around that. I do personally believe uh, that there's enough evidence out there to say that I think plant-based diet's the way to go for everybody, but I'm not gonna force that on you. I think you have to go through your own journey. There's just too much evidence of plant-based diets reversing various types of diseases from diabetes to heart disease to cancer even. Um, but you do your own research there. But I did wanna highlight that that genetic test was extremely insightful and it's really driven a lot of my changes. And um, it's, it's been really, it's, it's clearly worked. Um, yeah, I have heard incredible, like very similar in, um, you know, how helpful and eye opening that test is. I've heard great things about that. And it's not always covered by insurance, but it's important. Like, so one of the things I want to do is I want to get my kids tested pretty soon because, you know, if they're the same genotype that I have, I will try to steer, you know, their dietary direction earlier in life than for me. I think that could be really beneficial for them. But so there's that. And then the the last thing I want to touch on, we haven't talked a whole lot about exercise, Vanessa, but um, again, I think we're following a theme here, okay? My theme is do what feels good and what works for you. So, you know, I have switched from these extreme ego-driven, you know, like feats of strength to working out in a way that feels good. So I have discovered a huge passion for yoga and a huge passion for mountain biking. And that's pretty much all I do. But because I love those things, it's effortless. I don't ever feel like I need to go to the gym or I'm looking at the alarm clock fighting with going. I love to go. It feeds my soul. And um, when I'm mountain biking or doing yoga, I also feel like I'm meditating. So I have found that those things I love doing. So it's easy. And I think that's a good topic is from an exercise standpoint, figure out what you love, some, figure out what you can do you know, frequently, move every day if you can. Um, and, uh, I mean, do what you love. If you find yourself forcing yourself to go to the gym and go through some weightlifting routine, that's probably not going to be sustainable. Right. So Vanessa, what you were saying about sustainability is the key here for all of this. Yeah. And you know what I think is the key to sustainability is enjoyment. Right. Exactly what you're saying. And there's this old diet culture of, you know, go push yourself and slave away at the gym doing things you hate, which will ultimately destroy someone's motivation and also their metabolism. And, you know, it's like anytime you're forcing yourself, look, I mean, I come from a place of like pushing, being extreme as well. Um, and we both know that there's some value in getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. But you, but you have to take your body's feedback, right, and your overall lifestyle into consideration. And if you're constantly pushing your body to do things that it's not excited about and ultimately not getting into flow, flow. it's not going to help you. 
I love flow. I mean, that's another thing. Like it's kind of a, maybe you and I could do a follow-up podcast just on flow because it is yes. like a thing that is hard for me to explain, but is literally the biggest takeaway since the heart attack. I want to live my life in flow. Right. Not forcing, yes. not pushing, but in that place of flow, it reminds me of like when I used to play sports and when I was on the court, I wasn't thinking about anything else. I was literally like just flowing. And yeah. that's what also maybe you have found in yoga, on the mountain, on the bike. That's where we're in alignment and we're not forcing our physical selves to do things or what have you and forcing and pushing. And so that flow, that alignment is a feed. I think it's feedback from the body that you get, which is what you've been describing, right? Yeah. You've been getting all these yeses from your body. Totally. And being in flow with food, being in flow where you're just getting those yeses and being in flow and movement is the most important thing. So I usually tell people, if you're doing any kind of movement that you don't love, you have to stop that today. Yeah, for sure. And I would also say that like a lot of the people who listen to my podcast or in my network and professionals who work super hard at high, high pace, demanding jobs. Um, and I would say like, if you're having a hard time finding time to move your body in a way that is a big resounding yes and feels in flow, you need to realign, you need to make time for it because I can tell you from experience, finding time to move in a way that gives you flow and positive feelings will make you better at your job, will make you a better leader, a better coworker, a better wife or husband, better parent. Um, you owe it to those around you to do that. So it's not about you taking time for yourself or taking time away from work. It's an investment in yourself to make you better at work, better at home or whatever. And so that's a big thing for me. I just want to kind of wrap up here, Vanessa, and maybe leave you to share some final thoughts on, you know, this topic overall, your, your perspective from my journey and anything you'd want to leave people with. Thank you. Thank you for that. Um, well, the thing, you know, that really stands out to me is ultimately how your motivation changed. You know, you were, um, you got out of that place of, extreme like ego competitive pushing i mean i used to live there myself and you got out of that place and the things that you used to say i could never do that yeah. which is ultimately everybody's very original starting point so, you know it's like oh no i could never no yoga is not for me no i have to eat meat you know i've heard these things my whole career but because you had that scare, like because your body really spoke up and spoke to you, you completely gave in to, I don't have to be in charge. I'm just going to serve my body in a healthy way for my family. And my two points that I want to just kind of summarize are, number one, recognizing that you don't have to wait for that to happen to make right. this change. But I'll tell you right now, sometimes people just do. So for anybody listening, like decide, are you going to be the person who has to wait for that? And because it works. Like when people, when my clients have had a diagnosis, they make changes overnight. Yeah. Like they get in gear. Death is motivating. And a lot of the people... Right. A lot of the people who haven't are like, well, I kind of want to. I didn't really get around to that today. It's like decide who you want to be. Do you want to wait or do you want to change? Yep. And then the other piece 
because um, it's so hard for me to, to see the opportunity missed because someone doesn't have a serious scare. It's like, you can start changing now. You don't have to change everything overnight, which leads me to my second point, which is exactly what you said, Adam, which I think is true leadership and true ethics. Find what's right for you. Yeah. Don't follow the, the book off the shelf. Don't follow the doctor who ultimately is often talking about their own preferences if they're not like in a nutrition specialty, like, or even your neighbor or even your coach, like your coach or your doctor, we should all be helping people to find exactly what their body wants. And in order to do that, you have to get out of your head, get out of competing, get out of what is comfortable, get out of what you think you should be doing and ultimately feel when does my body feel its best? What gives me a green light? And be willing to let go of the crutches that we have to like make ourselves feel better during the day or just yeah. eat food that tastes good and get, you know, get a little bit uncomfortable and, and let the body tell you yes or no and go from there. Yeah. And I can tell you from experience when you're aligned with your, you know, with, with everything that we've talked about here with you're eating the right things for your body, you're moving in the right way for your body the feeling of euphoria and energy from within is just so much greater than the short spike of enjoyment you get from something you shouldn't be eating or, you know, whatever. Exactly. So it's incredible. Um, Vanessa, thank you so much. It's been amazing having you be a part of my journey. Um, I just, I can't thank you and, and the team at Planted Table enough. And uh, your insights and expertise are always amazing. I'm so happy that you could have this conversation with me and share it with the Growth Swag listeners. Oh, thank you, Adam. It's an honor. I'm inspired by you and I just want your story out there. I'm happy you're sharing it. And thank you so much for, for having me today. Thank you.